Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful people to help us along the way. Now, in the past, we've talked about how society's focus on success and grades and expected perfection and high achievement can create a fear of failure that actually and ironically hampers children's ability to learn how to fail, rise from failure, gain confidence in themselves, and ultimately succeed. But what are the unique pressures that are put upon today's girls in particular, and how does it affect their ability to lead happy, healthy, fulfilling lives? Think about it, the best in sports, the front of the class, top model looks, top of the heap in popularity, not to mention the mixed messages of speak up, but not too assertively, look sexy, but not too obviously, be the smartest, but don't act like you know it. For many girls today, the drive to achieve is both coupled with and driven by an immeasurable self-criticism and a crippling fear of failure. And while girls have enjoyed notable success in school, college enrollment and leadership, they're struggling. It's an internal struggle that leaves them constantly wondering, am I enough? What more do I need to do? And ultimately, and sadly, assuring themselves that they will never be smart enough, successful enough, pretty enough, thin enough, popular enough, or sexy enough. What are we to do to help our girls not only survive adolescence, but thrive knowing that she is indeed enough as she is? My next guest has been studying girls for over 20 years and helping them rise to their potential. Rachel Simmons is a best-selling author, an educator, and a consultant helping girls and women be more authentic, assertive, and resilient. Her latest release, which I am so excited about and have read myself, is called Enough As She Is, How to Help Girls Move Beyond Impossible Standards of Success to Live Healthy, Happy, and Fulfilling Lives. Which is due out today from HarperCollins, and we're so excited about it. Her previous work includes New York Times bestsellers, Odd Girl Out, and The Curse of the Good Girl. If you haven't read them, I suggest you do. They are really, really good. As an educator, Rachel teaches girls and women the skills they need to build their resilience, amplify their voices, and own their courage so that they and their relationships live with integrity and health. I couldn't be more excited to have you on the show. So thank you so much, Rachel Simmons, for joining us on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks, Robin. It's great to be here. Well, we're so thrilled you're here. And, you know, before we get into the book and the strategies and how we can help the girls in our lives, for those who haven't had the wonderful opportunity and pleasure of meeting you, of reading your books, of seeing you speak, which I've seen you speak, and you're so gifted at that. 
before we get into everything, can you just tell us what gets you up in the morning and what gets you so excited and interested in helping girls know that they are enough just as they are? Well, I guess um, what gets me up in the morning is the need to pay my bills, first and foremost. (laughs) Um, Anxiety and fear are great motivators. Um, No, I'm sorry. I'm going to promise to be serious. I think... um, I, what, the best thing about my job is that um, I get to do two things. One is I get to read research. I have a kind of nerdy part of me that likes to read mm-hmm. what other people are um, finding out about girls and teenagers and parents and, you know, um, traits and in, in all three of these groups. And um, I also really like to write curriculum. So I love to take research and turn it into actionable mm. exercises and outcomes that can measurably improve someone's life. So I kind of come at this with this optimism around, okay, so we know that girls are having some trouble. What's that amazing lesson plan that I need to write or that someone else is going to write, maybe using some of my work Mm -hmm. that's going to help girls, um, you know, improve their their feelings, their self-awareness, their self-worth at a moment when they're really struggling. Wow, yes. And your curriculum is very strong. I know that you have your program during the summer where you help girls who are in elementary school and middle school really thrive. And and you use a lot of that curriculum there, don't you? Um, Well, yes, I'm co-founder of Girls Leadership and we we run programs. I'm actually currently the research director. And so um, I am one of many people who has contributed to the curriculum there. Um, But yes, we work with girls in K through 12, um, as well as their parents and educators, um, different locations around the country uh, year round. Mm, Such a good program, that Girls Leadership, and it's very much appreciated. In your book, you give a lot of, you give a rundown of some really disturbing trends of girls versus boys. And you say that by age six, anxiety will be twice as prevalent among girls as boys. As a girl enters her teen years, she will be twice as likely as her brother to suffer from depression. She will perceive stress more often than her male peers. She will get less sleep. Her self-esteem is going to drop in a lot of domains, whether it's sports or appearance or self-satisfaction. So can you tell us what's happening here and why are we seeing these trends in girls specifically and not as much in boys? Sure. Well, to start off, I I definitely don't want to suggest that girls are worse off than boys. Mm -hmm. I I try to avoid getting into like the suffering competition. I think girls and boys suffer probably equally in different ways and for different reasons. So I think what's happening with girls is, um, you know, we're seeing this incredible rise in anxiety and depression um, because there are certain vulnerabilities that girls bring to the table. Um, for example, you know, the way that girls are raised to worry about what other people think of them. Um, to care more about what's going on in their relationships, to be more sensitive um, to the need to please others, which then in turn can make them very sensitive to negative feedback. These kinds of factors in their development can make them prone to rumination, which is to overthink. Mm. You know, overthinking is when you sit around and you're like, at night and you're kind of like, you know, why did I say that? Is that person mad at me? I mean, it's not necessarily at night, but that's when Mm -hmm. I really love to do it myself, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, 
How, how am I going to fix this situation? Should I call them? Should I write them? And you kind of go around and around in your head dwelling on the cause of a problem or the consequence of a problem. And so we know that girls and women disproportionately do this. We also know that this behavior peaks in young adulthood. Um, I can tell you that very, very few girls have ever been taught that word, you know, overthinking or ruminating. Mm. And a lot of them think that they're just sort of besieged by these obsessive thoughts. So one of the goals of this book is to introduce everyone to the concept who, who doesn't know about it and give parents and educators tools to talk to girls about it so that they can start to manage it. Um, so I think that's, you know, definitely, um, and that's one of the reasons why we see this this gender gap in depression. Um, the gender gap in depression has been in part explained by that tendency to ruminate. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would add is that, you know, I think we're seeing depressive symptoms in girls increasing at a very quick rate um, in terms of the number of girls who are reporting that they have these symptoms. And that may have to do with girls being um, very dominant on social media. So we know that we know that girls are dominating the use of visual platforms on social media like Instagram and Snapchat. And we also know that on those visual platforms, meaning places where you go post pictures of your friends and see pictures of yourself, mm -hmm. that, that girls are often like comparing themselves to their friends. They're comparing the number of likes or amount of feedback they're getting on their pictures to their friends. Right. And that's going to ramp up insecurity in a way that, you know, if guys are not doing that, they don't have the same um, kind of pressure to worry about how they look um, and who they're seen with. Mm so important and we've talked a lot about technology on this podcast and and social media and yes it certainly can breed some anxiety and some depressive symptoms as you're ruminating as you say in your room at night and I, you did mention just now that you're providing a lot of tips and takeaways to help with that rumination, can you just share with our audience just one tip that you would give to help girls stop the cycle of overthinking? Sure. Well, I actually provide kind of a way to have a conversation with a girl who's Great. ruminating for parents, like a Great. four step, you know, how do you want to guide her out of that? But for the girl herself, um, I think just one very simple intervention is to really focus on your breathing and get out of your head a little bit or just practice looking at something in the room and really thinking about what it looks like and focusing on the color and the texture and to get into a practice of intentionally getting out of your head. Some of us do that by taking a walk and looking at the trees. Some of us will do that just by lying down and breathing or sitting up and breathing. But I think part of what we need to teach girls is that there are tools you can use to, to really stop thinking with that kind of intensity. So there's a mindfulness that can happen that helps to lead girls outside of the rumination and help them to concentrate on something present in their room or right around themselves, whether they're on a walk looking at the trees or in their room looking at a photo or a picture on the wall. Yeah, I mean, they can also, I've told girls, you know, picture a stop sign in your head. Mm. Or I even joke with, with some of my students, you know, schedule it. Mm -hmm. Say from 7 to 7.30 tonight, I'm going to obsessively think about X. And then I'm going to set an alarm. And when 7.30 comes, that's it. Now I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to talk to a friend. I'm going to be productive in some particular way that's familiar and easy for me. But I'm not going to sit here and go around and around in my head. Mm -hmm. Again, the key is surfacing this behavior that a lot of girls just think is um, uncontrollable and habitual and, you know, can't be stopped in any way and showing them like, actually, there are things you can do. And that helps a lot. Mm. 
Mm, very important and such an easy tip to be able to teach to get kids uh, out of their heads, at least temporarily, and maybe putting that stop sign there in whatever way you choose helps them to just be present of mind, realize that they're actually ruminating and giving them a scheduled wine time or time to obsess <laughs> that you're saying and then allow them to move on. So I really like that idea. Why do you think that the pressure to be everything, I mean, I have to be everything, the most popular, the best looking, the most athletic, how can that pressure to be everything, how is that such a trying issue for our young girls today? Um, well, do you mean like, like, why is it happening? Or why is it hard for them? Or yeah, why is it? Why is it so much? Why is there so much pressure to be everything? And what is the effect it's having on these girls today to feel like they need to rise to such a platform in every area of their life? Um, well, I think part of the reason why it's happening, in some ways, it's sort of the best intentions. Um, I think, we want to give girls access to every opportunity. And the reality is, and kind of paradoxically, there's never been a better time to be a girl than now. Mm -hmm. um, girls have, you know, opportunity. They have more equality with boys than, again, any other moment in history. Um, but at the same time, while we've given girls more experiences and more opportunities, we haven't cut loose some of the old expectations. Mm. So it's not like we said, hey, girls, you guys can go into the labs and become STEM experts and you can fly planes and you can, you know, kind of go to the highest echelons of business. And don't worry about that need to have a bikini body. And don't worry about that need to be nice and liked by everyone. And don't worry about that need to, you know, have a great social media feed and get one like permitted on Instagram. All those things have followed along. Um, so we've essentially heaped new obligations for success on girls. Um, we've heaped the new ones onto the old, and we haven't cut loose the more outdated ones. The effect, of course, is just what I would call, what psychologists call role overload um, and also role conflict. That basically means role overload is you've just got too many roles to play. And role conflict is when some of those roles actually conflict with each other. So in your attempt to fulfill one role, let's say, you know, having a great social media feed, you're not able to fill the, fulfill the other role, which is being academically um, excellent because you're online all the time, so you can't be studying all the time. Um, so, of course, the impact there is enormous stress, mm -hmm. um, a kind of constant sense of needing to be busy, of fearing being idle. Um, and as in any case where you expect yourself to be perfect, you will always have an enduring sense that you're not perfect enough. Like, mm. no, but you know, there, that, that is just part and parcel of the expectation that I've got to be flawless. You won't walk around feeling that way without also feeling like I'm not enough. Right. And then they're spread so thin that they can they can break inside, right? There can actually be a feeling that they just can't go on like that and they can get a bit hopeless or incredibly anxious to the point where it's debilitating. Yeah. I mean, and it's really sad. And I think part of – so like, for example, I see in a lot of students, high school and college students – they don't give themselves permission to just have a hobby mm. or do, you know, just, just chill out with their friends because they believe that to be busy is to be competent, you know, mm. to be occupied, to have your calendar filled at all times means that must mean that you're doing a good job. And I think many of them confuse having a schedule with having a greater purpose in life. Um, and that's of course not the case. And so I think we're also seeing just 
tremendous burnout um, and as well as loneliness because if you're always working, then you're not hanging out and kind of making meaningful memories with your friends. I think you're probably hitting the nail not only on the head of the girls, but many of the people who are listening because, of course, girls grow up to be women and we still have these pressures on ourselves where we feel that we need to be everything. So um, I, I, I imagine you're speaking both to our young girls, but also um, to the, the parents and the teachers uh, that are listening. So thank you for that. It's it's very important. I'm also wondering about the fallout of the messages. Yes, we have to be awesome and the best and, and perfect and everything, but at the same time that girls seem wary of trying new things they might fail they might they might not achieve as much they they worry about these things to, and they're not able to cram out everything in what is the fallout from this idea that they they can't fail what tell us a little bit more about that sure well i think there's a number of fallouts some of them are are intuitive and some of them are less so um i think when you don't feel that you can fail, uh, you begin to play it safe mm-hmm. in your choices. So you seek out experiences where you have a strong sense that you're not going to make a mistake. Right. Um, and what happens then is your whole experience of learning becomes much more about the performance for someone else and the evaluation rather than your own intrinsic Um, engagement Hmm. with whatever Mm -hmm. it is you're looking at, whatever it is you want to learn. So you're not learning because it jazzes you. You're not learning because you're genuinely, you know, wanting to understand a question. You're learning really more in the service of not failing. And so just the whole experience of learning is just eclipsed um, by that fear of failure. Because I think I talk about my five-year-old daughter at the end of the book, I talk about what it's like. One of the great things about five-year-olds is that I think many of them are very hungry to learn Mm -hmm. and they're really excited to learn. And so you're kind of watching what's called intrinsic motivation really in action in front of you all the time. And what that really means is you're watching kids who learn because they love to learn. They learn for the sheer enjoyment of it. And so when I watch my daughter learn and a lot of the time she's kind of wrestling with something that she doesn't know the answer to, let's just say a puzzle that she's trying to make fit. And when she figures it out, she just goes, yes, like this really oh, so exciting, yes. yes. Yeah, you don't go yes when you play it safe, right? You don't, you don't get that exhilarating sense of I proved to myself that I am stronger, smarter, braver than I thought I was when you're doing something where you kind of already know what the outcome is going to be. So we're seeing a real loss of those experiences mm-hmm. for those girls who feel like they can't fail. Um, the other thing that we're we're seeing is a generation of, of, of girls who, when they do fail, become pretty unhinged by it. Mm. And like, who can blame them? Because right. the ability to fail is a skill. Like, it's a muscle. You have to, If it's not like you're going to wake up one day and be like, oh, now I'm resilient. Like, resilience is built over time with practice, with exposure to challenge. And so, and this happened to me myself, um, which in part, you know, definitely inspired this book. But And man, I just shattered into a million pieces because up until that point, all I had ever wanted to do and had succeeded at um, was was winning, was to win. Mm. So so that's so really you you fall out of practice with failure and then you are really undone by it. Mhm. Mhm. I can understand that and uh, that makes a lot of sense to me uh, as you're explaining it. 
I know that you've spent a lot of time looking at the research from Carol Dweck. You, you talk about it in your book, and I love her work, um, talking about the ways that people, these kids, deal with failure, but in a positive way, you know, by reframing mm-hmm. it. So I'd love for you to talk to our audience about what it means to fail well as you talk about it. And, and what does that have to do with feeling like our girls are enough? Um, sure. I think, I think Carol Dweck's work is a really good example. Um, she is a social psychologist at Stanford University. And I think by now a lot of parents may be familiar with her work. Mm-hmm. She um, developed the theory of motivation called Mindset, which basically says that we as people tend to approach challenges with one of two mindsets. Um, The growth mindset in which you believe that effort and practice will improve your intelligence and your ability. Um, And the fixed mindset, which is when you tend to think you're either intelligent or not, and that no amount of practice is gonna change that, that you kind of have a fixed setting of smartness or ability. And so those people, those individuals, and these are the ones I kind of was just talking about, tend to think that every time I pursue a challenge, it's a referendum on how smart I am. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, you kind of think, well, even if it doesn't go well, I could just keep trying or figure out another strategy. And through that effort that I apply in that practice, I actually am going to get there and I am going to improve my ability. So I think part of what we what we're looking for is the people we want our girls to have more of a growth mindset. And so we want them to understand that when they experience a setback, that does not mean in a black and white sense that they are dumb or that they are hopeless or that they will never get into a good college or get a good job. We want them to understand that they may need more practice in that area that they may need to pivot and try a different strategy. And when you can talk like that to yourself, then you become much more capable of failing. Because, of course, failing doesn't mean that the world has ended. It just means, all right, I got to try something else. And and this is something you can talk to your own children about all the time. Um, One of the best ways you can do that is by modeling it yourself. So that when um, when you yourself screw up, and I actually periodically do cooking. I think cooking is a wonderful mm-hmm. way to model um, failure resilience to your children and to say, well, you know, I mixed up the baking soda and the baking powder. So next time I'm going to really not be distracted by my phone when I'm trying to make these muffins or I'm not going to talk to anybody while I'm baking. Yeah. And I'm going to real, that's going to be my strategy next time. Instead of saying, oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? Right. So Um, having a growth mindset and modeling that for your children can really make it possible to fail well. So there's a talking out loud that happens so that you're modeling it, but you may even be able to say something to your child so that they are clued in to the fact that you fail sometimes and it's okay that you fail. You can move on. I love the idea of pivoting, that idea of adjusting and and speaking that out loud as well. Now, next time, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let this cripple me. Yeah. And I definitely don't, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think you need to like have a whole conversation with your kid in that moment about Mm -hmm. look how mama failed. Mm -hmm. And like, this is what that means. Like they don't need that much. They actually are just listening and watching you anyway. Mm -hmm. Like they're listening to you and they're watching. I mean, kids are mimicking us all the time. So they actually don't need the like, see, like we've all learned something here today. They're Mm -hmm. just watching how we handle it. And they're completely like downloading that into their um, toolkit. So I, you know, and I I also say that because I have a kid who as soon as I start to like do an after school, 
school special of like, see, haven't we all learned here something today? She's like, please stop. Like she's already figured she's all five years old. So you know, she recently <laughs> learned how to roll her eyes. And um, so I think there have to be, you can do this like in a low key way too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk strategy. Um, how do we deal with the constant barrage of social media and media that tends to support the notion that our girls have to keep striving to be perfect. It's not just us that we're able to model this and it sort of solves the problem because they're still getting all these messages from media, but also from other key people in their lives. So what are some key strategies that we can use as parents and educators to kind of put it all in perspective and dwarf the importance of what everybody else appears to be doing on social media and what so many messages are telling the kids during their 24-7 barrage of uh, advertising and everything else? Um, well, I think it's really helpful to look back to um, the 1990s and to look at the um, arrival of, of what people call media literacy curriculum that kind of came on the scene to help girls navigate media with a critical eye. So for example, I'm thinking of the kinds of lessons that teachers started teaching when they said, hey, when you look at an advertisement, you need to know that they're trying to tell you you need something that you may not actually need. Or I'm thinking of like Gene Kilborn's mm -hmm. Killing Us Softly sure. video and you know, look at these representations of women and look what that means and, and what do you think of that and sort of getting girls and, and boys as well to adopt a critical perspective and not just wholesale, you know, ingest everything that they're watching. Um, and one of the things we've discovered along the way is that media literacy is one of the few um, successful uh, weapons, as it were, against um, body shame. Mm -hmm. In other words, when, when young people can develop a real sense of, hey, what I'm seeing in the media is just like unrealistic and unfair, that that in turn can have them give them a better sense of, of how they look themselves. Mm -hmm. So all of this is to say that I think what we now need is to have social media literacy discussions hmm. with our mm -hmm. kids where you sort of say, I know you're on Instagram and like, I want to talk with you about all the bikini shots of your friends this summer. And like, you know, why does everyone seem to have the same kind of body? Who's posting a picture? Like, I don't see anybody who has a non-conventionally thin body posting a picture. Like, what do you think about that? And like, I don't know if I were you, I might feel like kind of uncomfortable seeing all those pictures and it might make me self-conscious. Does it make you self-conscious? Mm -hmm. Like, so you're not, I mean, so I also want to add, so another, well, let me just finish that thought. Like you, you want to help kids not, you're not telling them not to be on social media. Cause I think that's not useful. And mm -hmm. the research certainly doesn't support that you should, you know, bury your head in the sand. But you're sort you're sort of saying when you are on, like, don't swallow everything you see mm. without thinking about it first. And, you know, there are parts of this that are cool and there are parts of this that aren't. Um, I think that you just can't, but you can't demonize it. I think that's the last thing I would say without going on too long. Like any parent that walks around with their kid being like social media is here to destroy civilization and <laughs> kill all your concentration and focus and your brain cells and your potential to succeed in life. Like you're just not going to have a kid who talks to you ever about anything. <laughs> um, so you need to like chill out and figure out some things that you think are positive about social media because there's just no way any kid wants to talk to you. And I I've watched this happen in the classroom 
a lot. It's very hard to get kids to open up about social media because so many adults have demonized mm-hmm. it so that they see an adult coming and they're like, no way, dude, I'm going to like protect what I got. There's no way I'm going to concede anything bad about this. Yes. One of my best friends says you really need to enter their world because if you are constantly saying terrible things about the world that they live in, which you know, they're really very much invested in social media, of course, then you're not entering their world and you're not helping yourself understand them in any way. So that's not going to be a helpful way of bringing yourselves together and having good conversation and and helping them understand that you're here to support them, not demonize Mm them. Right. Yeah, totally. So, so I want to just go a little further with that because we often hear from parents and girls once they enter the preteen, teen years that, oh, I just don't understand her anymore. You know, everything she does is sort of foreign and she's not talking to me. So what are some strategies parents can use that will help them to relate and connect better with their daughters and really enter their world? Um, huh, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess like a couple of things. Um, one is that you're never going to enter their world on your calendar or schedule. (laughs) Like it's usually going to be when they want you there, not when you want them there. So I would sort of first let go of the expectation that like when you're ready to have a talk, they're ready to have a talk. It's not an after school special on the beach. (laughs) Well, and it's often not like after school during that little window of time when you feel awake enough. Mm -hmm. um, to have the conversation. Like a lot of times it'll be, you know, late at night or, you know, when you're running late to leave for school and then all of a sudden they'll want to have a conversation. So I would, you know, shed oneself of the notion that, that this can be on your own schedule. Um, secondly, I would be really like respectful of what that kid needs around talking. Mm. Um, okay, I'll continue the communications idea. So in addition to not forcing them to talk when you're ready, um, asking them the question, do you want my advice right now? Or do you want to just vent? Yes. And, um, you know, I think that's one of the best things you can do is just, but then you can't ask that question if you're not willing to actually just let them vent because I've, I've talked about that question with some girls and they're like, Oh yeah, my mom says that. But then she's like, can I just tell you what I think? And so, (laughs) you know, if you can't like kind of put a sock in it, then you can't ask that question because you're just going to lose trust. But like, Actually, I mean, you have to think, Rosalind Wiseman says this, and she's like, she talks about how it's so annoying the way that we ask our kids to tell us all about their school day when we see them at the end of the day, because they're probably at that point so tired and like not, not, they don't want to talk about it. They're like, I'm exhausted. Why are you making me talk right now? And Rosalind says, like, do you want to unload your entire day as soon as you walk in the door? Like, no, you want to like you know, not do that. And so, exactly. so part of what I think she's saying is just like, treat your kid like a person, like mm-hmm. be respectful. And so, and so you also just have to kind of say like, well, you might not want to talk right now. Um, I think the final thing I would say is like, you're never going to be totally like in your kid's world. And yes. I think the sooner that you realize and accept that as incredibly anxiety provoking mm-hmm. as that is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I think it opens us up to great uncertainty and unpredictability but the sooner you give up some control and you kind of have a little bit of faith in your kid's ability to navigate the world, 
you're probably going to act a lot more calmly around your kid, um, which is to say that it is often our own grasping for control and certainty at a moment when that's off the table after kids reach a certain age that make us say and do stupid things as parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. And I'm, as you're talking, it's just my mind is going to my own daughter. And I'm just thinking of, you know, if, if I'm doing that, <laughs> sitting here going, wait a second, am I ruminating right now? Um, yes, I, I agree with you that we it's not going to be on our timetable that often for my daughter, it's like we're, we're putting her, I'm putting her to bed and it's like overdue like she's like up too late and that's that's when it starts to come out like all of a sudden we're talking about things that are are like incredibly important that I want to be so mindful of and and really hear what she's saying and it's you know now it's pushing 10 o'clock at night and my daughter's only in third grade so I, I I agree with you on all of that and and yes so important to ask them what they need from you and rather than thinking what you need from this conversation <laughs> very mm-hmm. important work so are those what you were just discussing are those really those the sort of four steps you were talking about when you're going to be having a conversation with your daughter or is is that a different different thing that you were talking about in the beginning of the call oh oh that's different that's a that's a different thing okay so can you tell us a little bit about that and and basically talking about how you can have a really good conversation with your daughter um well so this wouldn't be like I don't know that I would title it like how you can have a really good conversation because I have no idea if that's going to be the outcome of this. Okay. Um, okay. Like I don't want to make any <laughs> well, promises. We're going to take that off the table then. Yeah. Take let's take off that the off the table. table. What, what I would call this is when your daughter seems to be like going around and around and around about a particular challenge, um, ruminating yes. um, really again in a way that doesn't feel forward thinking or forward looking, but is more circular and dwelling on something um, but without moving forward. Um, you know, this is something that I would suggest. It's a problem-solving method um, called ORID, which is an acronym, and I'll, and I'll explain it. But it's actually often used by, uh, for groups um, as a way to help groups break out of kind of indecision and problem-solve mm-hmm. uh, with adults, mm-hmm. for adults. So here's basically, these are, these are the four steps. And by the way, you don't have this conversation with your kid when she's all ramped up and freaking out, Good point. Um, you know, or in the middle of even like a tantrum of some kind. <laughs> so basically the first, the first question is that you ask about what is objectively true. That's the O in ORID. And so basically like let's talk about what exactly has occurred here without Mm -hmm. judgment, Mm -hmm. right? Let's not talk about what you think, you know, editorially speaking about this person's character. Like, what did she say to you? What did you say to her? Literally, like, what happened? Okay, so establish the facts. The next question is you focus on reflection. So it's the R. Um, How do you feel about this? All right, so we know that X happened. Tell me, are you angry? Are you disappointed? Um, You know, this is sort of the part where they vent a little bit and they talk about how they're feeling. Um, the next set of questions is what we would call interpretive questions or the eye of ORID. And this is basically like, okay, so now that you know what happened and you know how you feel about it, what does this mean for you? Mm. Like, how is this actually affecting you emotionally, socially, academically? Um, you know, so that you help her understand that it's not just that she's drowning in these feelings, but that this is actually having an impact on her. Is it that her schoolwork is falling Mm, behind? mm. Is it that she's not eating well or sleeping well? Like, how is this actually interpret what we know and tell you and, and, and let's talk about how it's affecting you. And then the final step is D decisional questions, which is basically, okay, 
what do you want to do about this? What is one thing that you feel like you can do to move mm-hmm. forward? And at that point, and you're actually, you know, asking her that and saying, and how can I help you with that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you don't want to overwhelm her with this. Like, let's come up with an entire strategic plan at this moment. <laughs> Just like, what's one one thing you want to focus on doing? And you say to her, like, I just want you to feel a sense of like moving forward here. And right now it seems like you're very um, caught in your unhappiness about it. But but I think you have a chance to actually solve this problem. So let's talk about taking one step forward. Just one, not not all of the steps. It's 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 a great system, Rachel, and what a, a wonderful sense of faith that you're showing you have in your daughter when you're saying those words. I, I also really like you know just where you started. We talked to an anxiety expert, Don Hebner, who said that often when we're anxious about something and we're constantly thinking about it, it's not about what has happened, but what we're worried about might will might, might happen. You know. It's it's not always the truth of what actually happened. And and I feel like that's playing a role here um, that our, our minds sort of taking they're sort of taking a leap and thinking about all the things that could be happening and uh, may happen, but not actually what actually did happen. So I like the start of what actually happened so that you get the truth on the table. That's really smart. Um, so I, I love where you say in the book that your number one job as a parent is to tell your daughter that uncertain, uh, uncertainty and bad choices and wrong turns, all of these are going to mark the next five to seven years of her life. And it's not something that she has control over. And it's not her job to always know. It's, it's her job to be clumsy, it's, and it's your job to stick with her. So in that spirit, can you give us your very top tip how can we really be our daughter's best support during this time and ensure that she knows without a, do- a doubt that she is indeed enough as she is? Um, all right. Well, in fairness, that's two questions. Yeah. Since okay. you're asking my top tip. Top um, tip. How, how, can you, how can you best support your, your daughter and how can you help her see that she's enough as she is? So yes. let's, let's take those as two questions. I will. Fine. Um, Good. So I think you, I think you can best support your daughter actually, um, by just learning to regulate yourself first and foremost. So I think like a lot of the time we have, we get so, um, upset when our children are upset and I'm not saying that we shouldn't or, or wouldn't Mm -hmm. because, oh my God, like we're only as happy ever as our unhappiest kid. And like, you know, they, anybody who tells you, you know, Oh, I hate the people who are like, well, these people are just so over-identified with their children. It's like, how are you not right, over-identified right. with your child? Like, I don't understand in what planet you're not over-identified right, with your right. child. As your heart is Did walking you... around outside your body at all times. Forget the heart. It's like, I, my, it's like I'm a vessel for my child. Like, literally, I have no life. Like, she is my – it's not because I'm trying to live through her. It's because I have no choice. Like, I, all I do is – do you know what I mean? It's like, all I do is take care of her. It's so true. So, like, obviously, I, like, really care about what happens and how she feels and what's going on with her. And like, yeah, I'm pretty invested in that. So I'm just like not here for the people who are like, Oh, you know, she don't die. Don't fire. Okay. Okay. So like the whole, so by what I'm trying to say though, is that we also have to like check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, Mm -hmm. which means that if we get really upset with our children, that we oftentimes either signal to them that something is really bad because 
whether or not your daughter is willing to admit this or not, she's 100% looking at you to tell you how stressful the situation is. Oh, gosh, yes, truth. Right? So they, they want to know from you. So they want the ability to be off the wall, tantruming, losing their shit, and they want you to be like, it's going to be fine, it's going to be okay, like, yeah. we're going to figure this out. But if, mm-hmm. if you get hijacked with them, yes. um, not so two things happen. Not only do they then lose it because the container now feels, the container of their security now feels really, really, scared, you know, mm. un- uneven and out of whack. And suddenly they feel insecure. Heavy, yes. um, but you also are probably going to like, say and do things that you don't want to do, because you're going to be emotionally hijacked. I mean, 85% of my worst parenting choices have come because I was not able to control myself emotionally. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so the bottom line is the best way to support your kid is like, learn how to check yourself. Um, and how to ask yourself this question, like, like, uh, the question I often ask parents to reflect on is, all right, how would I parent in this moment if I knew that everything was going to be okay? If or I wasn't if it afraid. Wasn't me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, in our, like, but you, <laughs> yeah. Like, like if I thought, if I knew, if somebody gave me like a magic eight ball or whatever oh, and just told me like everything's yes. going to be fine. Yes. What would I do in that moment? And honestly, I would say 95% of the time it's different than what you actually want to do, which is because you're operating from a place of just freaking yes, out. Yes, yes, yes. Right? So true. And I totally forgot the second question. Oh, oh so that they know they're enough as tip. they are. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, no, that was my top oh, tip, that's Robin. Your top tip. I, hope, oh. I, hope you, I hope you're excited about <laughs> I it. I actually that was it. really loved your top tip. If okay. You just wanted to tell me you, about the you. other one, which yeah. was. You technically sure asked two questions. I did. You, you I did. did. I rolled it in. You're overachiever. <laughs> But I, but I was like, basically want to answer the question, like, how do you tell your kid that she's enough as she is? You just tell her, you tell her she's not, you you just talk to her. You say, you know, I just want you to know, like, how, how much I appreciate the fact that you are flexible sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the fact that, like, you remember to feed the dog and don't let the dog die. Mm -hmm. Like, because no one else in this house does. Or, like, I am so grateful to you for, like, tolerating me when I, you know, get, upset like mm-hmm. I, my, my daughter and I were speaking this morning at breakfast and I don't remember how it came up but I had lost I'd for oh I'd forgotten my shoes at the YMCA and I couldn't find my sneakers she goes remember when you had that meltdown oh! <laughs> she just said remember when you had that meltdown and I was like yeah you were really nice to me to just like roll with that uh-huh. and like so what I'm trying to say is you try as much as you can to call out the character strength the character strengths uh-huh. not the like you're so smart and you no. got first place right. and this is what the teacher said just like what are the what are the just gifts the intrinsic gifts that make you love your child so much that you know you love them for just make sure you're telling that to them I, it's it's so impactful what you're just saying and it, it's really touching my heart because I, I I could not agree with you more that if we can be strength finders in our children and really highlight that and reflect it back to them that they know what's really great about them they know that they're enough, but they also bring a lot to the table. Like it's, they're, they're more than enough. They, they're grit. And I, I really appreciate you highlighting that because, um, you know, so often as parents, and it's totally normal, we get so frustrated and we focus so much on, you know, what do we need to improve and what do we need to get done that it's sometimes hard to take the time to step back and say, these are the strengths I see. And these are these are the things that I'm grateful for. And this is what I appreciate in you. So thank you so much for that. That is such an important tip. Um, 
because your book is coming out today, I just want to highlight that because I'm so excited for you. Where can people go to learn more about you and your book and all the great information that you provide on this topic? Um, well, you can uh, call my mom because she's really <laughs> proud of me. She should no, be. <laughs> <laughs> my mom has a lot to say. Now, you can go to um, – we can certainly buy the book anywhere, um, you know, your local independent bookstore or Amazon. Um, you can – Go to my website, rachelsimmons.com. Um, I've got a Poppin' Facebook page. <laughs> Poppin' is my attempt to use teenage language. I want to, one final tip, which I talked about on Facebook this week. If you really want to drive your teenager insane, just use their language to describe <laughs> everyday things, and it just makes them absolutely want to die. It's like great revenge. Um, so my Poppin' Facebook page and, um, you know, Twitter, Instagram, I'm all over the place. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'd love for people to join me on Facebook. It's going to be a fun couple months where we're going to be talking a lot about um, girls and overachieving and anxiety. Uh, so there'll be a lot going on there. Well, absolutely. And I will have that all in my show notes, uh, all of the ways to get in touch with Rachel and uh, look at her book and get her book because it is wonderful work, really well researched and some incredible takeaways that you can use right away. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm truly grateful that you've been with us and spent the time with us before you are off and running with your own daughter. And I love what you're saying about stopping the rumination, about highlighting strengths, and about checking yourself before wrecking yourself. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Robin. You're welcome. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's discuss them at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. Rachel and I will be going back and forth this entire week. And if you love this podcast like I did, and who doesn't like the work of Rachel Simmons? So much great stuff. Would you kindly go to iTunes, rate and review it and share it so other people can learn about these outstanding solutions for their own daughters and the girls that they have in their lives. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information that you need. And on the days when we fall short, never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting, thankfully, is the ultimate do-over. And as there are moments when we all doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.